Thanksgiving, right around the corner. Some of our favorite parts about Thanksgiving are the food, are the mashed potatoes, are the cranberry, I don't know. I don't know how that one slips in there every year, but it does. Some of us are fans, some really aren't. Um, it's okay, God is good, right? You've got pies with Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is such a great time for us to stop and remember to give thanks. And in some ways, it's a shame that we have to have a secular holiday set up to remind us that we need to be thankful people, right? I think of Colossians chapter three, and you don't need to turn there. Let me just read it for you. Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, and he says, and beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Three times in those verses, three times. Three times we're told to be thankful or to have thankfulness in our hearts. And the reason why we have to be told so many times to be thankful is because regularly we're not. It's so easy for us to get into the, into the stream, the flow of thought that runs through our culture where we look at what other people have and we look at the greener grass over there and, and we forget how, how really how green our grass is. And we look over there and we say, but I don't have that. I don't have that car. I don't have those things. I don't have those blessings that God has put into their lives and, and I would rather have them in mine. All too often, we forget. And we're taught, we're taught since we're kids to be thankful, right? You remember it. And if you have kids, you remember doing this. Someone gives your child or gave you when you were a kid something that you really didn't even want. It was whatever, ugly, nasty, and your mama leaned in real close and whispered in your ear, what did she whisper? Say, say thank you, say thank you. And so there you were with something that you didn't want and you didn't have a thankful heart. It wasn't said with a happy heart, it was thank you, thank you. You know, you're trying. And it's not wrong that we, sh that, that we as parents should say that to our kids because we should be thankful. We should be thankful for what we have. You remember how it was. You know how it was. You were growing up and there was something on your plate that you didn't want to eat and you got to it. You started to complain about it and your mom or your dad said, hey, there are children in Africa who would love to eat that. And one time I got a little smart and I said, great, grab a box. Let's send it. I will be giving and I would gladly give. Um, my, my Brussels sprouts. My parents did not appreciate my sense of humor and I learned a very important lesson that day. Our hearts are fickle though, friends. Our hearts are fickle. Uh, we're happy for what we have for a moment. It's fleeting, it's passing because we're happy in the things that we have. And what we kind of sometimes do is we try to line ourselves up and, and we, we look over here and we see someone who has less than we have and we say, well, I have more, therefore I should be thankful. I should be grateful because I have more. Well, what does that mean? We were talking about this even in youth this morning. What does that mean for this person then? Should they not be thankful because they have less than what I have? And if they try to line up someone else on, on the other side and say, well, okay, I may have less than Pastor Josh has, but, but I have more than what 
this person has. And then and it's going to keep going. Well, what about the person at the far end of that line? What about the person who has literally nothing? What about Job way down there who had and it got ripped away? How do, we, how do we handle that? Because we are happy when someone is next to us and we can say, yeah, I do have more and I should be grateful. And that's right, I should be grateful for the blessings I have. But as soon as someone stands next to me on this side, it all changes, doesn't it? I remember a time I was, as a teacher, listening to kids talk about Christmas presents. And this kid was super excited, thrilled. I got and named a dollar amount. I got this much money for Christmas. And even I was impressed. And I thought, wow. There, there went my happiness for everything that I got because I didn't have what this kid had. Kid A had a dollar amount and he was happy for it. This is a school setting. Kid B steps in and intervenes. Oh yeah? Well, I got, boom, this amount. All of a sudden, Kid A, who is super happy and thrilled and thankful to mom and dad, is no longer super happy and thrilled and thankful to mom and dad because, because Kid B showed up. But it didn't end there. It went to kids C, D, E. It kept going until I shut it down and I said, no, you should just be thankful for what you have. It's hard, though, to be thankful sometimes. You've been there. You know what it's like when you know you should be thankful, but you're not. When it's difficult to be thankful, but you're not. John Christostom, an early church father who died in 407, writes this, let us... Give thanks to God continually, for it is outrageous that when we enjoy his benefaction, his blessings to us, when we enjoy his benefaction to us, indeed, every single day, that we do not acknowledge the favor with so much as a word. When this acknowledgement confers benefit to us, he, he doesn't need anything of ours, but we stand in need of all things from him. Point in fact, he says, thanksgiving adds nothing to God. God doesn't benefit from you being thankful to him. He is complete and whole in everything he has. He, he doesn't live on your thankfulness, but thankfulness benefits you, the recipient of his benefaction. So he says, point in fact, thanksgiving adds nothing to him, but it brings us closer to him. For if when we recall the benefactions of man, we are all the more warmed by the affection of them, much more when we continually bring to mind the benefits of the master towards us, shall we be more earnest with regard to his commandments. For this cause, Paul also said, be ye thankful for the best preservative of any benefaction is the remembrance of that benefaction and continual thanksgiving for it. John Christostom, the golden mouth preacher was saying, you should always be thinking through the things that God has blessed you with in your life. And the more you remember them and the more you bring them to mind, the more your thoughts will go upward in thanksgiving towards him. Gratitude is a big deal to God. A, a search for the word thank in the English Bible, bringing up things like thankfulness and giving thanks, uh, comes up over 145 times. Because theologically what we're doing when we give thanks to God is we're recognizing the sovereignty of God over all things. And when we're thankful to him, we're recognizing the goodness of God in our lives. And when we're thankful to him, we're recognizing his care and his faithfulness and his providence. Being thankful recognizes who God is and it puts you and I in our places, doesn't it? Because we can't create all of that on our own. But we're thankful to God for what he's done. If you flip it on its head though, 
the upside down nature of that by not giving thanks to God for his goodness and his faithfulness and his kindness and his providence and his sovereignty is a slap in the face to God for all of those things. When you're, when you're discontent with what God's doing in your life rather than be grateful. And listen, I understand there are hard times in life. I understand that all of us are going through different scenarios in our lives right now. Sometimes it's hard. And I'm not saying when the death of a loved one comes, you should throw both hands up in the air and say, I'm so thankful. But you can still praise God and you can still be thankful in your heart to God for the love and the care and the kindness that that loved one had in your life for all those years. It's, it's not a joyful thankfulness in all tragedy, but it is a joyful thankfulness in all things. And, and it's there and you can find it. And we'll talk about how we get to it in a moment. Thankfulness is a big deal. Just look quickly. This is not our text, but I want you to flip to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. 1 Chronicles 16. The ark has been placed in the tent by King David. And in context, King David uh, in chapter 16, verse seven says, it's on that day, David first assigned Asaph and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord. Their one and only job was to be the praise band for Israel. Their, their one and only thing to do in life, which is no small thing, was to bring people before the very throne of God. And, and this day, this is the first Psalm that comes out it's a psalm of thanksgiving, and we're not going to read it all. But look in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 8 with me. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Speak to him. I'm sorry, sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all of his wonders. Glory in his holy name. Let the, Lord, uh, let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonderful deeds which he has done, his marvels and the judgments from his mouth. Just the beginning of this psalm is constantly pushing people's vision upward. It's pushing their hearts upward, bringing them before the throne of God saying, look up and remember what God has done. Notice he doesn't say necessarily remember what you have. Remember the stuff that's in your life. Remember the, the things that bring you happiness. He points their eyes upward and says, give thanks to God for who he is. Look down at verse 29 even. Actually 28, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in holy array. Tremble before him all the earth. Indeed, the world is firmly established and it will not be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all in it. Then the trees of the forest will sing for joy to the Lord for he is coming to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his loving kindness is everlasting. Then say, save us, O God, O God of our salvation, and gather us and deliver us from the nations to give thanks to your holy name and the glory of your, of your praise. Blessed be the name of the Lord, God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting. Thank the Lord. Gratitude is a big deal to God. 
The Lord is sovereign. The Lord is holy. The Lord is good. And his providence is in your life. And, and by looking back at the way maybe things were and by looking back at, at other things or by looking at others' green grass and saying, I wish I had that in my life is like saying to a sovereign and holy and, and good God, I don't like how you work in my life. My preference, God, would be that I be like that, not like the way you made me. None of us would actually ever say that, hopefully. But by not giving thanks for the good things that God does in your heart and in your life, the benefactions, as John Christostom said, by not giving thanks for those things, that's exactly what our heart is saying. I'm not happy. Gratitude is important. And this morning, I wanna open God's word with you to understand the key to giving, to giving thanks with the whole heart. David says in Psalm uh, 9, verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all of your wonders. Job was able to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even when his stuff was gone, even with the things that would have made, humanly speaking, someone happy, his family was gone. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is is above our circumstances. The Lord is above our things. If, if you're happy in just the things that you have, in the, the bigger house that you bought or the cars that you have or the stuff that you have, when that gets taken away, where will your happiness be? Your happiness must rest in something that is over and above all of that. So that like Job, you too can say, naked I came and naked I return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The kind of worshipful gratitude that we should have here at Thanksgiving this year isn't rooted in, in our health, our good health, because health can be passing. It's not rooted in our wealth because wealth can be passing. It's not rooted in stuff. Although, should we be thankful for the turkey that gave its life so that we could eat? Sure, we should be. We should be thankful for the people that are in our lives and eating with us. We should be thankful for the blessings that we have. But really, our true thankfulness is in the who, not in the what. It's not in the things that we have, but it's in what we have. I want you to look at Psalm 100 with me. So if you would turn in your Bible there, let's spend the rest of our time in Psalm 100. Really short text of scripture, five verses long, but deep theologically. Deep theologically, teaching us what it means to truly give thanks and based, and really, I guess, what is the foundation for giving thanks? So I'm gonna have really two main headings. The first is be praising the Lord. If you're taking notes, that's Psalm 100, one to three, be praising the Lord. And then verses four and five, be thanking the Lord. You must be praising the Lord and you must be thanking the Lord. These are imperatives. These aren't, these aren't question marks, these aren't suggestions. This is an imperative. And we get the difference between a, a suggestion, even a strong suggestion, and an imperative. I remember when I was young and my mother would say, it'd be really nice if your room was clean, you know, son. That's a suggestion, but is it really? Is it really? Not really. But it's different when she says, go clean your room, right? That's an imperative. And when scripture gives us an imperative, first of all, we have to wonder why is the imperative being given to us? And it's probably because we're lousy at whatever it's teaching. And in this case, it's about giving thanks. The imperative is there because we need to learn to give thanks better. So you must be praising. 
and you must be thanking God. So this Thanksgiving, think about Psalm 100 as you gather around the table and you're thinking about what you're thankful for. It's, it's really the who, not the, not the what. It's not the stuff that we're thankful for, but it's who we're thankful for. Let's read Psalm 100, verses one to three. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. This first psalm teaches us that our lives must be characterized by praising God. The psalm even starts off, and I didn't read it. If you look up the small uh, uh, inscription there above verse one. Technically in the Hebrew Bible, verse one begins with that little inscription. It says, a, sorry, I only went to the wrong one. It says a psalm for what? A psalm for giving thanks, a psalm for thanksgiving. The author of this text, as he sat down with the quill in his hand and he started to sit down to write this psalm, he knew what this was about. This is a psalm for you and for me. It's a psalm for the church, originally written for originally written for temple worship. We no longer have the temple. We're not Israel, but it's written for those who worship God, for those who believe in God, for the true followers of the Lord. It's a psalm for thanksgiving. It's a psalm that you and I need to remember. It's a psalm that we should have on our hearts and our minds all the time. And he starts off saying that you must do all these things. Notice the shout in verse one, serve and come in verse two, or the know in verse three. All four of those are imperatives. All four of those are commands from the Lord for you and for me. And he starts off saying, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Look at the, the missions aspect of this. The entire earth belongs to the Lord. The heavens and the earth were created by him and all the earth should shout joyfully to the Lord. All the earth should sing praises to the Lord all the earth doesn't. Therefore, we should go. We should declare the, uh, the Lord's goodness. We even read that at the end of Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, the end of First Chronicles 16. He talked about going and telling the nations, declaring to the nations, the Lord reigns. And here the psalmist says, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. That shout joyfully is a, is a raise a cry. It would be if you were to translate it somewhat into like vernacular of our day, it would be technically it would split the ears is what they would say. Split the ears with this cry. It could be a cry of alarm. You could think of a, if an enemy nation was attacking and you were the, the watch keeper, you're on the watchtower and you see the nation coming, you would turn around and you would yell with all your voice. You would shout out, you would split the ears saying the enemy is coming. That's kind of a negative connotation of it. The positive here is split the ears how? What's the second word there? Shout joyfully to the Lord. Raise up a cry within your heart to the Lord. And, and the best that I could come up with in thinking through this would be something more like a, a long live the king kind of thing, a, a huzzah like the British would do. This is a shout for the, the entering king coming into the land and you would say, shout to the Lord in this case. Shout joyfully to the Lord. It's not just shout to the Lord. I love that addition, shout joyfully. 
The context of our shouting to the Lord is not in anger, it's not in depression, it's not in sadness, it is in joy. We shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. That, that verse gets taken out of context so many times. I remember I was learning to play the guitar and I was, you know, I thought I was amazing until about a month and a half into learning to play, someone actually gave me a tuner. And they said, this is a gift for you. And I thought, oh, what does that do? They said, well, it makes your guitar sound right so that you can sound right. And I said, oh no, have I been sounding bad all this time? And they said, no, 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 no. The Bible says, shout joyfully to the Lord. Make a noise, make a joyful noise, I think the ESV says. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. And that's what you're doing. And I wasn't. It was not a joyful, I was joyful. The noise wasn't so joyful. What was coming out of my lips and coming out of my guitar was not a joyful thing. We take it out of context, but here, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth is our first imperative. We could stop there. How do you do with that? How does that stack up in your life? Are you a, a joyful noise maker to the Lord in the proper context? Not joyful noise maker like I was, but are you actually raising your voice, not just on Sunday mornings when there's a band up here playing, but is that something that flows from your heart? Do you sing joyfully to the Lord? And actually we're gonna get to sing in a moment. So scratch that I just said that. But is that in your heart? Does your heart well up when you think of going to church on a Sunday morning thinking, I get to go. I get to go to sing and to worship God and to listen to the word of God preached. It should well up in your heart. But he doesn't end there, does he? He keeps going. We've got two more verbs in verse two, two more imperatives. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before him with joyful singing. The truth is that we're supposed to be serving the Lord with our lives already. So the fact that it says serve him with gladness shouldn't shock us. And typically back in this day, those who served the Lord were those who were in the temple and they were, they were actually doing the service of the Lord. And it would be easy to sit down and say, well, whoever's playing the guitar is serving and the children's ministry people are serving and Pastor Adam's up here serving and I'm down here receiving. But that's not how we're to be living our lives. We're to be serving the Lord in everything that we do. It's not just specific places or specific people, but it's serving. And we were talking about this with the youth this morning. Young people, serving the Lord begins at home, doesn't it? It begins honoring your father and mother. It begins serving there. It's taking God's word and saying, Lord, I wanna serve you by obeying your word in all things. And, and it grows that service into then, as you get older, come to the church and serve. Serve the Lord here. Go serve the Lord on the missions field. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all for the glory of God. Everything you do is a service. Are you serving the Lord wherever you are and in whatever you do? It's not just a Sunday morning service or a Wednesday night Awana service. Serving the Lord is wherever you are, whatever job you're in, whatever role you take in life. Are you serving the Lord? And there's a tricky part to it though. What's the end of that little phrase? Serve the Lord with gladness. Is it possible to serve the Lord with a heart attitude that's not gladness? You can. Doing it out of requirement, doing it out of duty, doing because you're supposed to do something. It's, it's standing here on a Sunday morning and the band is playing and the songs are up here on the screen and, and you're, you're singing them and your lips are moving but your heart is far from it. Maybe you've come 
You've come from home and there's some difficult times at home. Maybe you argued at home before you came here. And it's difficult to come and serve the Lord even with the words of your lips because you're angry at something or you're frustrated. The psalmist says, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. He doesn't end there. Come before him with joyful singing. This is another verb, come to him. Again, the context here would be would be the temple. And you see that in verse four, enter his gates with thanksgiving. The idea is pressing into the temple courts to go worship in the presence of God. Because in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where the people couldn't go in there, only the high priest could, but they could come into the outer courts and they're coming into the place where God is. But that veil has been torn, hasn't it? After Christ died on, after Christ died on the cross. Let me get that right. After Christ died on the cross, the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. So where do we go to be in the presence of God? When are we in the presence of God? It's all the time. We get the privilege of going directly to the presence of God. And here Psalm 100 says, come, come before him with joyful singing. Your heart should be like a Spotify playlist of joyful singing worship songs to the Lord. You should be walking around all day, every day, just having a song on your mind. I had a, a pastor one time uh, from Florida tell me, uh, this is a while back, so iPods were still a thing. He says, you're like an iPod on shuffle and all you have is worship songs set up. Because every time someone would say something, it would, remind me from, it would remind me of the lyrics of a song and I would start singing that or humming it. Five minutes later, someone else would say something else and boom, I'm on a different song. And, and just my whole day was shuffling through all of these worship songs. We should be like that, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we have God's word and his songs and his worship on our lips all the time as we go throughout the day? You wake up in the morning and you take that first breath, even though you've been breathing all night, so it's technically it's, it's not your first breath, but your first cognitive breath. You wake up and you breathe in. You, you should be saying, thank you, God. You have me here for another day. You have me here to, to speak the glories of your name one more time. And you should be praising him for that. How often do we wake up and not even think that our lungs are functioning, that we're breathing, that we're living? Come before him, come before him with joyful singing. This last imperative is really the key to all of the first uh, three imperatives above. It says no. This is the key to coming before him, to shouting and to serving, it's the knowing. The knowing is the key. Look what he says, know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Notice that the Bible uses the uppercase word for Lord here. It's capital L, capital O, capital R and D. This is Yahweh. So know that Yahweh himself is God. This is, this is his personal name. He's not just a deity out there. His name is Yahweh, used over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. Yahweh is God and you get to know him. You have the opportunity to know him. You have the privilege of knowing Yahweh the Lord. Know that he himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are from him. We are for him. We are to him. As Paul's gonna say in in Romans chapter 11, for all things are from him and to him and for him. So he gets the glory in everything. There is no patting yourself on the back when it comes to true theology. 
when you rightly understand the word of God, everything you have has come from him. And so everything you have should be going to him in praise. Know him. What should we know? Know that the author says, know that is he who made us. We belong to him. He is the author of life and, and he alone has the power to create. And that seeing uh, and that praising him comes from the fact that everything comes from him. It starts from him, it ends with him, it goes to him. He is the creator God and worthy of our praise. Now the author probably has in mind the forming of Israel as a nation. Not only is God the author of life for you, but he's the author of your spiritual life. Christ paid the ransom on the cross, dying for your sins. So your getting to know him took, it took the death of the son of God. You're getting to know him and to press in, to, to praise him and to shout joyfully and to, to serve him with gladness is because he died for your sins. Knowing him is, is not just, it's not just head knowledge. I know who the president of the United States is. I don't know him. I don't know him, but I know who he is. This isn't that kind of know. This is know God. This is a relationship and he says, we are his sheep. We are his sheep. All throughout the Bible, God is compared to the shepherd. I think of Psalm 23 that we're probably gonna read next week in our reading of the Psalms. Actually, no, it'll be in a couple weeks because we didn't finish Psalm 22 today. But the Lord is my shepherd. And if the Lord is my shepherd, that means I am his sheep. I'm in his pasture. John, flip to John 10. Keep your hand in Psalms. Go to John 10 with me real quick. John 10, verse two. Well, we'll just back up to verse one to get context. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs in some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. So Jesus starts off talking about shepherds and he talks about sheep and to any Israelite who's listening his mind would automatically have gone back to Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul here Jesus is setting up an argument and he's going to say look down at verse 16 he says I have oh hold on no I want to back up before I get there Look at verse 11, look at verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus calls himself the very good shepherd that Psalm 23 is about. And then you and I are in this text as well. Now look at verse 16. Jesus says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. He's talking to, the, he's talking to Israelites, he's talking to the Jews that are in front of him and, and they're God's chosen people and I am your shepherd, I am the good shepherd that Psalm 23 talked about. But he says, I also have other sheep that are not of this fold and that's where you and I fit in. We're in this as well and um, Psalm, let's go back to Psalm 100. This Psalm is also written for the nation of Israel, for God's chosen people. So in a very narrow sense, it's talking specifically according to the author's intent, them. But since Jesus said he's the good shepherd and there's others who are gonna be brought into the fold, this includes us as well. And, and we go back to knowing him. We get to know him. 
We are the sheep of his shepherd. So the motive in verses one to three for making a joyful noise, for serving with gladness and singing with a joyful heart is knowing God. It's not in the stuff that you have. It's not in the things that you own. I mean, we've got Christmas coming up. I'll be honest, I love Christmas. I love getting stuff. Stuff is fun. But our, our, our anchor should not be in things of this world. The anchor of our joy comes from something that's greater than this world, from he who created this world. So we get to know him. And even if you get nothing for Christmas, if you get a, a coal in your stocking, you can still give thanks. Although that would be hard, <laughs> right? How are you doing with that? How do you know God? Do you know him well? Are you here today and maybe you're sitting here thinking, but you know, the truth is I don't know this God. I don't know this loving and caring and kind God that you're talking about. For me, maybe you're thinking God isn't loving and caring. There've been difficult things happening in my life and I don't know how to reconcile that with a loving and caring God. Maybe life is hard for you. Maybe it's difficult for you to shout, to serve, to come and to know. And I want you to know after, after this service, there's gonna be men and women down here. We're not done, we're not done. This isn't my end. But just know that there are people here who would love to introduce you to the loving, kind, caring, and generous God who is our shepherd and we are his sheep. You have an opportunity this morning to know him. Don't pass up that opportunity. Don't let that go. Use today as an opportunity to make this Thanksgiving your best one. We're not done. That was like an intermission. Let's go on to the second, our second point. Let's go to our second point, verse four and five. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. The title I gave for this section is you must be thanking God. We had you must be praising him in our first three verses and that's, that's clear from all of the imperatives that come in. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been adopted into the family of God and, and he's transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, you must be praising him. That must characterize your life, that idea of praise everywhere you go and everything you do and in all things, even though it be difficult, you must be praising God. What should not characterize your life is bitterness. What should not characterize your life is, is, a, is an attitude of ungratefulness. Shout, serve, come and know. But now we get in verses four to five, be thanking the Lord. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Armed with knowing God, we can enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Again, the picture is, is, af, is as if God was in his temple and we're going in to visit, we're pressing into the, the place where he, his, his glory is, the place where the Ark of the Covenant is, the place that represents God's presence and the idea for the Israelite is pressing into that and we're gonna enter into his gates and, and how do you come into God's presence? It's with thanksgiving. It's with thanksgiving. You know God, which is why you serve him, why you come to him, why you shout joyfully to him. And because you know him, you come in and all of those things just overflow and, and, uh, and overcome you. You know who his character is and, and you know what he's capable of. Think about it. Think about it. We would, we would serve a terrifying God if he was all sovereign and he was all powerful 
So he's omnipotent and he's in all places. So he's omniscient. I'm sorry, he's omnipresent and he knows all things. So he's omniscient. Imagine how terrifying it would be if he was faithful though and yet not good. Imagine, imagine what a scary God that would be if he had all of that and yet was an evil God. You would still come before him and you would still serve him, but it would be in fear, a scary fear. It would be trembling. What if his wrath turns on me? What if he doesn't love me? What if he doesn't care for me? What if he doesn't like the very sacrifice of praise I'm bringing him? It would be horrifying, but you know him. You know God. He's not some far off God, high on a mountain <clears throat> like, the, like the Greeks worship. He's not some God who doesn't wanna be involved with his creation. He's not some God who is angry all the time. He loves so much he sent his only son to die for us. That's how, much, that's how loving and how good our God is. You could not save yourself. You could not pick yourself up and do enough good to get you into heaven. Heaven had to come down to you. Heaven had to break through time and space and become part of creation so that you could know him. You know him. If you're here today and you know him, you enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You come in worshiping. But the real reason for it, the motivating reason is in verse five. I think verse five is the reason why the psalmist sat down to write this psalm in the first place. I think first, verse five is where the psalmist was blown away by this thought he had about the doctrine of God, by the reality of who God is. I think that blew him away and he sat down and, and he wrote this song out because all of the, the psalms were songs in the Psalter. These were the songs that Israel would sing. So the, this, is their, this is their playlist, right? And so as this psalmist sits down to write this, he's thinking about verse five. For Yahweh is good. For Yahweh is good. Stop there for a second. Sometimes it's hard to see that good. I recognize that. Sometimes it's hard to feel that God is good. I recognize that. Life can be difficult. Life can be hard. It, we, we could feel like we're going through dark times, not able to understand what God's doing and not able to understand how God is working in our lives. But here, sometimes what we have to do when we don't understand and it feels like, it feels like the, the floor underneath us is shaking and, or the rug just got pulled out from under us, whatever metaphor you wanna use, sometimes it feels like that. And what we have to do is back up to verse five and say, you know what? I don't know what God is doing. I don't know how he's working in my life. I don't know what he wants in this moment, in this time, because right now it doesn't feel good, but the reality is he is good. Sometimes that's the only thing we can back up to. We, we don't understand what's going on in life, but we say, listen, here's what I know. I, I don't know a lot, but what I do know is this. God is sovereign. He is faithful. He is good. He is true. Start reciting those things in your mind. So what's going on, ultimately, though it hurts and is painful right now, it is good. And that's not easy. I recognize that. I think the psalmist recognizes that. For the Lord is good and his loving kindness is everlasting. 
That word loving kindness is a word in Hebrew that's kind of hard to translate. And so often you get two words that get squished together, like in this case, loving kindness or covenant love. It's this never ending love that God has for his people based on his own word. It's based on his own promise. We're not like that. We love each other based on what we get from each other. When someone is nice and kind to me, I tend to be loving towards them. When someone is mean to me, it's rather difficult to be loving towards them. Our loving kindness kind of comes to an end. Our loving kindness can run out. Our, our patience can run out. I, I remember one time picking up a family uh, from the airport in Italy, and, and it's a long trip from, from flying out to where this guy was, and there were some layovers, and I think it was almost 20, 21, 22 hours traveling, and they get to the airport, mom and dad, two very excited and anxious boys with them and they had that glazed look you know that glazed look when you've traveled a long way and you're you're at your destination but your mind and your body really aren't at that destination they're somewhere in between and they're talking with me and uh, they were tired the boys were at the opposite end of the spectrum they were tired but that was driving them berserk so they're like all over the place and and I remember the dad looking at the wife and said honey I, can you deal with them I think my patience just stopped and I just love the matter-of-fact way. He was really quiet about it. He just, I think, I think my patience just ended. How good is it that we have a God whose patience never ends? How good is it that we have a God whose loving kindness is true and good day after day after day? How good is it that God is not like us? We serve a God who is always loving and his, he does say there will come judgment. So his patience will come to an end in that sense. There will be condemnation. There will be judgment. But look how patient he, con how patience. Look how patient he continues to be even now as we go out and we share the gospel to those who don't know the truth yet. He's still tarrying. He's still waiting for that judgment to come. And we still get to preach of his goodness and of, of his grace. His loving kindness, his covenant love, his ever-keeping love is always, for he is good and his loving kindness is everlasting. I think back in the end of that Psalm in Chronicles, I loved this part. Blessed be the Lord, so blessed be Yahweh is what is written there. The God of Israel from everlasting, even to everlasting. The psalmist there, he has always been and he will always be a good and loving God and you get to know him. You get the privilege of coming into his presence because his son died on a cross for your sins and for my sins and because he didn't stay on his throne saying, ooh, that's too bad, they're in sin. That's terrible what's going on down there. He stepped off his throne, not considering equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he took on the form of a bondservant, didn't he? Philippians chapter two. He took on the form of a bondservant. He became a human, which we think that's a pretty good deal. We're the highest of the food chain here. Pat yourself on the back. That's what we think. But the difference between who God is and who man is, is is so incredibly different that he condescended to come down to us. It would be like you becoming mold to go evangelize the mold in your refrigerator. He came down to us. And yes, we've been created in the image of God. Yes, that does give us dignity and it does give us a quality that's different from all the other animals in the animal kingdom. We are humans and made in the image of God, that's true. But we're nothing 
like the God who sits on his throne and created with the very power of his words. Let there be, and it was. You get to know him. You get to know him. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us. And not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Therefore, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. His faithfulness to all generations. Friends, as you gather around the Thanksgiving table this Thursday, I hope, you're, I hope you're thankful. I hope you're thankful for the people that you're gathering with, even if it's just family. I hope you're grateful. I hope you're thankful for that. I hope you're thankful and you start listing off the blessings in your life. I remember one time we, we had this Thanksgiving dinner for Italians and Thanksgiving is an American thing. And so we were running an English school in Italy and, and so we kind of built up into Thanksgiving so that we could have an evangelistic dinner at our home. And we had this tiny little basement. I think we packed over 40 people in it. There was, it was really, really tight. And I thought I would do what Americans do. And I even told them that. This is what we usually do. We go around the room saying what we're grateful for. And this is a group, they knew each other. They had been part of my English course for a while. So it was an embarrassment. But I said, so let's go around. Let's start over on this side. What, what are you thankful for? Silence. And I said, oh, okay, okay we'll start... We'll come back. Let's start over here. And nothing, just quiet. And then someone said, well, we're thankful for you because we get to eat dinner at your house today. And these were non-believers struggling with thinking through things to be thankful for. And usually we've got the go-tos. I'm grateful for family. That's the go-to. You got to say that. It's required. I think it's state of California law or something like that. You have to say I'm thankful for family. You should be thankful for family though. You should be. Some people don't have families. And again, I'm not trying to use the whole guilt, someone next to me over here, but you have a loving family. You have people around you. Be thankful, though, for greater things than just that. In that meeting, my hope was to hear everyone's, I'm thankful, thankful, thankful for, and then I was gonna go into, I'm thankful for Christ. But friends, shouldn't that be first and foremost on our hearts and on our minds every day? Not just on a Thursday, the fourth Thursday of every November once a year, I'm thankful for Christ. I'm thankful to God for the family that he gave me. I'm thankful to God for the blessings that he gave me. I'm thankful that I get to know God. Like I said in the beginning, our hearts are so, so, so fickle. It's so hard sometimes because we're easily distracted. When Christmas, I was really hoping to get a Knight Rider remote control car. I wanted that badly. For those of you too young to know, you don't know. But I wanted this remote control car, Knight Rider, and, and this car had this flashing red light that would go back and forth on the front. And he would speak to the, speak to the driver, and, and I just thought that was it. That's what I really, really, really wanted. It was on my Christmas wish list, and I didn't get it. And that's okay, because I had a mountain of other things that I got. I wasn't thinking about the fact that I wanted Knight Rider, the remote control car, until I glance over at my father, who's opening a present from one of my mom's sisters, and he opens it up and he goes, oh, it's a Knight Rider remote control car. My mountain of goodness and blessing was gone, swept away in that moment. I looked at that present and I said, oh, dad, there's been a mistake. That's actually for me. 
my dad picked up the packaging and he looked at it and he said, actually, son, this is from Aunt Mary and Aunt Nancy to me. And I said, well, the tags must have been moved around because that's my present. And he chose that moment, God bless him, to teach me a lesson. And he did. I should be thankful. I had so much and yet in an instant, my eyes turned away from that which I had to that which I didn't have. And all of a sudden, in an instant, I wasn't thankful. We're like that. But our thankfulness shouldn't come from the things, not from the what. Our thankfulness should be in the who, that we know Christ. And if you're this Thanksgiving gathered around the table and you're with friends who don't know Christ, use it as an opportunity to tell them about Psalm 100. Listen, I'm thankful because I get to shout joyfully to the Lord. I'm thankful that I get to come into his presence with singing. I get to enter in and know him, that he's good and his loving kindness is from everlasting to everlasting and use this opportunity to preach the gospel to those who are at your table. And if you're here today and you don't know that God is good from everlasting to everlasting, let this be the day that makes this Thanksgiving the best Thanksgiving. Don't walk out of these doors today the same person that walked in not knowing God. Know him. It's an imperative. It's a command. Know him. Know the, know the sacrifice that he made for you. Know the joy and the hope and the peace that you can have in him because his goodness is from everlasting to everlasting. If that's you today, when we're done after the last song, you're welcome to come over here and there's gonna be men and women waiting to talk to you and it would make their day to introduce you to Christ. But don't let this be the day that you hear truth and you close your ears and you shut your eyes to it and you just walk out the same way. Let this be a thanksgiving where we truly make a joyful noise, where we get to serve him and sing to him, we get to thank him all because we know him. And may it not be just thanksgiving, may it be every day of our lives. May we have a Spotify playlist set on worship tunes in our hearts all the time. And may people ask us, why are you so happy? You can say, I'll tell you why I'm happy. Let's talk about Psalm 100. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us for the times that we are unfaithful in being thankful. Lord, help us, to, help, us to, help us to think through, help us to list out all of the ways in which we're thankful and the reasons for which we're thankful. Lord, help us to be, help us to be like John Christostom in his homily as, as he said, we should be constantly remembering the benefactions of the Lord every single day. We should look back and remember Remember that Christ died on the cross for us. Remember that we have reconciliation with God through the Son because of what God the Father has done, because of what the Son has done and what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. Lord, help us to be thankful this Thanksgiving. Help us to sing songs with joy. Help us to serve you, Lord, with full hearts because we know you. It's the greatest reason for us to be thankful, Lord. We're grateful to you, for you, and because of you. In your name we pray, amen.